This podcast is brought to you by Langley & Benack, a full-service South and Central Texas law firm that delivers the highest quality legal advice coupled with exceptional client service. From our main office in San Antonio, we provide the resources of a national firm while maintaining close ties to the communities in which we practice. To learn more, please visit us at langleybenack.com. That's langleybenack.com. Or call us at 210-736-6600. Today's episode is part three of a seven-part series on will contest-focused fiduciary litigation. This series is hosted by attorneys Christopher Hodge and Job Jackson. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Langley and Benack podcast are for information purposes only and should not be considered legal or professional advice for any particular situation. The presentation of this informational content does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website at www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Thank you for joining us. This is Chris Hodge and Job Jackson of Langley and Benack Law Firm. And in our previous two episodes, we've talked a little bit about the probate process and uh, what a valid will is in Texas and some issues surrounding uh, those two topics. In, in today's episode, episode three, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, will contests and considerations for will contests. So sort of a, a pre-will contest discussion about, um, about whether or not uh, you should contest a will, what are the situations in which a will contest might be proper or you should be thinking about it and and what do you need to do as as a person who's who's concerned uh about that taking uh, about uh you know whoever your loved one is or whoever the person that died is who we'll refer to as the testator or decedent uh in this episode who if if you don't think their uh, last will or and testament is is what they really intended then then what we'll be discussing here today is what do you do about it? What, what are the next steps to you do to, to um, you starting the discussion about a will contest? So Job, what, um, after that person's died and um, what do you need to be thinking about? I, I think really the, the first step that you need to be thinking about uh, if you've determined that there's a, a will out there and you're concerned that it doesn't accurately represent your uh, loved one or the decedent's last wishes, um, you need to determine where that will is going to be offered for probate. That's very important in a, a will contest is you have to contest the will in the county where it's been offered for probate. So uh, a first step in this is going to be uh, contacting an attorney who's qualified to handle that kind of matter and can help you monitor uh, the proper venues uh, or counties where that will can be offered for probate. So uh, that attorney is going to be able to assist you in, in that process and the will can be offered for probate and the, the county, uh, generally where the uh, county where the decedent resided or, or passed away 
or where the majority uh, of their property was located. So it, it may be the instance where you had an elderly loved one who uh, had a house and property and frankly all of their stuff is in San Antonio, but uh, due to their last illness, they spent the last few months of their life in a different county in medical care and passed away in that different county. Um, that means there, there's at least two counties there where their will could be offered for probate and you're gonna want an attorney to help you monitor uh, make that determination of where it can be filed and help you monitor that situation. And I think it's worth noting too that um, individuals and, and quite frankly some attorneys can be sneaky about this, about trying to offer a will for probate in a, in a proper county that does have venue that maybe the beneficiaries uh, or who, who should be the beneficiaries um, aren't going to look and, 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 and not find out about it, it happening. Um, so it's it's important to assess that and figure out where all do I need to look, what all counties do we need to be cognizant that the will could be offered for probate and, and maybe already admitted to probate in those counties. So, and, and Job, so this comes up in our, our practice all the time that we're talking to people about potential will contests. And so I think it's, it's worth discussing, like what types of situations do we see that have led us to file a will contest or have led us to consider filing a will contest. And so in, in what types of scenarios, um, you know, should, if, if somebody's thinking like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm worried about this, um, you know, what, what, what's pretty, a, a pretty familiar type situation that can lead to someone executing a will that doesn't, um, that doesn't uh, actually, show what their true last will or in, intentions were with regard to their property. Well, a, you know, a, a common scenario we'll see is uh, the decedent will have an estate plan that was drafted many, many years ago, sometimes even decades ago, that leaves an equal distribution uh, between their beneficiaries. So if you have three children, each child gets a third. And then very late in life, that estate plan is changed to either significantly reduce or completely disinherit uh, one or more beneficiaries. That's a typical situation where someone's going to come in and be strongly considering a will contest. And um, there's going to be a number of red flags that will probably cue the beneficiary off to the fact that the estate plan could have been changed. Um, for instance, uh, disputes among the beneficiaries prior to the decedent's passing where there could have been comments saying, you know, mom or dad cut you out of the will, and uh, the beneficiary who knows about that may have been in close proximity to the decedent to uh, maybe influence that decision to come about. Uh, so if you've seen that kind of animosity about someone's estate plan prior to their passing, uh, that can really raise some red flags that uh, an estate plan that had previously been equal to everyone had been changed late in life. And particularly these days with the advancements in, in medication um, and, and in medicine in general, um, you know, people are living longer. And as a result of living longer, um, we have such an increase in dementia and other mental disorders that, that a tremendous amount of the elderly population suffer from that can really inhibit their ability to reason uh, for themselves and uh, subject them to undue influence or maybe not knowing 
what they're doing when they're making a new will. And so, you know, one of the scenarios we see quite often is when someone has dementia or some other uh, mental disorder and during the course or early on in that dementia or even later on in that dementia, um, you know, they sign a, a new will or some other document or they sign a um, one of these contracts at the bank that we've talked about in our previous episodes that that g- essentially gifts accounts to um, whoever whoever they fill in the blank whoever maybe took them to the bank and um, and so that's a typical scenario in in, in our practice is to to have uh, these instances where, where somebody may not have all of the mental faculties that, that are required um, under the law to, to execute a will, but nevertheless, they're either unduly influenced to do it, or maybe they just don't understand that they don't have the requ- requisite capacity to do that. And, and that happens a lot. Um, some of the other scenario, you know, scenarios we see often are caregiver influences. Um, you know, people who have cared for these individuals for a long time, in, and, and, and I'm not even I'm not excluding children from that. Children that come in and care for their parents, and and their attitude changes to a um, I deserve this inheritance over my siblings because I cared for mom and dad, and they didn't. They were living in another city. They didn't care. They weren't there. Well. To some degree, that's sort of an influence over mom and dad of if you want me to care for you, you need to uh, do something in return for me and let's go sign a new will. So certain situations like, like that um, that come up all the time um, and uh, where caregivers uh, you know, benefit from, from the care uh, even after the, that person dies. And so those are a few of the instances that come up routinely in our practice um, where you need to be thinking, maybe maybe it is, uh, you know, maybe this is ripe for us to file a will contest. If if your loved one's will, it seems to be an unnatural dis- disposition. That is, it leaves property in a weird way. It, it leaves it, let's say it leaves it all to charity, but your loved one wasn't charitable during life. So what went on there, you know, there's been, you know, numerous cases where charities can can influence uh, a decedent or a testator to sign a will and leave them, uh, leave them a, most of their property. Joe, can you think of any more instances that? I mean, I think we've covered some of the basics uh, in stereotypical situations, and as Chris mentioned, it's the unnatural disposition in a will that really is a red flag. The, the typical will that you see is, uh, for instance, if you have spouses creating a will and they have children is, uh, whichever spouse predeceases the other, the estate goes to the surviving spouse. If neither survive, it goes to the children equally. That, that's what would be a natural uh, estate plan. It's when things vary from that when uh, alarm bells go off and people tend to investigate, you know, why did my loved one change their estate plan to vary from what is the norm? So if you're in one of these scenarios where there's the potential for an unnatural disposition of a loved one's estate, um, what kind of notice, Job, do you think you're gonna get, even if you're a child of that, that a will's been offered for probate, what does Texas law provide? Uh, Texas law provides for uh, posted notice, which in reality is, is almost always minimal notice of it because uh, 
the notice when the application to probate the will is filed, the only notice that's required is posted notice at the county courthouse in the county where the will's been offered for probate. So uh, we previously mentioned the need to investigate where a proper venue or location for a decedent's estate will be probated. And the reason why you need to be investigating that and monitoring the situation is uh, you need to keep a lookout for that posted notice. Uh, in Texas, that posted notice qualifies as actual notice, even if you did not have true actual notice of the probate proceeding. You know, there's no requirement to send you a letter saying, hey, I'm offering this will for probate in Bear County. And so after the will has been offered for probate, then um, the court can act on that application to admit the will for probate after 10 days from that posting of the notice that Job just talked about. And so there are two different types of will contests, a pre-admission contest and a post-admission contest. And by that, I mean when a will contest is filed. Is the will contest filed before the will is admitted to probate? So within that 10-day window or within that when that, that window before there's a hearing on the application to probate the will, the will contest can be filed. The effect of that is that the will is not admitted to probate. And um, typically speaking, and we'll talk about this uh, a little bit later, then a, a temporary administrator is appointed of the estate, not the named executor in the will that's been offered for probate. And so if, if that 10 day period has already expired and the will has already been admitted to probate and an independent executor has been appointed, it's no big deal because you have two years from, uh, from that time to, uh, to file your will contest. And so from the date that the will's admitted to probate, our Texas Estates Code provides that you have two years from that date to file your will contest. And so you can certainly file it afterwards. Um, Joe, can you talk about the difference, uh, the difference in the two, the, um, the will contest that's before the will is admitted and the will contest after the will is admitted? Oh, uh, a fundamental difference is if you are monitoring the situation, you see that a will has been offered for probate and you filed the will contest before it's actually been admitted to probate, the burden of proof in the lawsuit is going to be on the applicant offering the will for probate, which means they have uh, really the, the tougher battle because the, they have to establish to the court that this is the proper will. Uh, okay, And if the will's already been admitted to probate, then the burden of proof is on the contestant to convince uh, uh, the court and jury that this will should not have been properly admitted to probate. So uh, that initial burden of proof is very important when you're looking at the questions that are going to be submitted to a jury. Uh, it's important how that any decisions can be reviewed on appeal. Um, so it, it's a it's a big advantage if you are looking to contest a will that you get that will contest on file uh, before the will is actually admitted to probate. Uh, another. Uh, important consideration that uh, Chris just mentioned is if you can file the will contest before the will is admitted to probate, which means really you're filing uh, that will contest within a matter of days after the will has been offered for probate, you can move to have a third party temporary administrator 
appointed to manage the estate pending the contest, which is really important because then uh, if you have animosity among the parties, which there's in all likelihood animosity among the parties if there is a will contest, you have a neutral third party that's actually in control of the estate's property. They're going to be charged with making sure the estate's property is uh, properly accounted for and protected. Um, because the last thing you want is a will admitted to probate. You file a will contest and the opposing party has disposed of property and things go missing. And oftentimes it's very hard to get uh, some of that missing property back. So it's a huge advantage to have a third party administrator pending con uh, appointed pending the contest. Now, Chris, what about uh, if you file a pre uh, a will contest before the will's been admitted to probate, is there uh, another kind of cost aspect that uh, folks need to take account of? So if you do that, then the the temporary administrator that, that you mentioned is likely going to get appointed by the court and, and that person is going to be paid for out of the estate assets. And so that, that cost is, is something that, that is going to accrue to the estate. In Bear County, typically that person is an attorney um, and, and that is well seasoned in probate law and they're going to be charging their normally hourly rate to administer the estate essentially. So that is that is an added cost to that. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is worth mentioning is that um, versus the pre and, and post probate uh, will contest is that if you contest a will after it's already been admitted to probate and that independent executor has already been appointed by the court, it, that independent executor is probably going to defend the will using the assets of the estate. So paying attorney's fees related to the will contest out of the assets of the estate because typically speaking, the will um, allows them to do so. So that's just another consideration of do I want to do this pre-probate or post-probate is that the independent executor in, in a post-probate will contest has the ability to use the estate assets to essentially fight you. So it's just one of the considerations that that you know you you need to think about when you're when you're getting into and trying to decide when you know when you're going to contest uh, a will and a lot of times it 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 doesn't you know you know that that ten day period or the period before the will is admitted to probate goes fast and people don't act or they don't know and and so a will has been admitted to probate and you don't, you're kind of stuck in this we have an independent executor and they're using the assets to fight me, but at least you still have two years after that date um, to contest the will. And, and when you think about it, it makes sense that if uh, somebody can use the estate's assets uh, to defend the will contest, uh, it's less of a direct financial burden on that person and they're more incentivized to uh, not necessarily be the most reasonable and uh, in the dispute because it, it's not hurting them financially directly. Whereas if you're the contestant, you're looking at a lot of expense uh, to contest that will that's coming out of your pocket most likely. And every one of these situations is different and there's not one case that's the same as another uh, just because people's lives are different and people's estate planning documents are different. Chris, a situation we run into uh, quite often is someone will come in and they have a will uh, for a loved one and they're concerned 
that there's another will out there that significantly uh, differs from the will that's in their possession. What, what can be done uh, to try and find out if there actually is another will out there that significantly differs from the one that a person actually has possession of? So there's a couple different things that, that you can do if you're in that situation. Number one, there's a provision of the estates code that, uh, that you can file and basically open the probate proceeding and uh, mandate uh, that that person, whoever potentially has the other will, be cited to appear in front of the judge and turn over the will. Um, to, to the court. If they don't, if they fail to appear and they've been cited to appear, the judge can have a warrant issued for their arrest and, uh, arrest and they can be thrown in jail. Um, one of the other, one of the other things that, that um, is, is always possible is you just starting the probate process. And while you may, you may know, or you may think you know that there is a later dated will that potentially revokes the will that you have, you could start the probate process by offering the will that you have. And the effect of that is that you'll then get notice of anything that happens of another will that's been offered for probate. You start the probate process in that county where you um, is convenient for you where where you want that to be and then if somebody else is going to file a later dated will for probate they have to do it within that proceeding but then this whole uh, elusive uh, part of offering the will for probate and not knowing about it sort of goes out the window if you're able to be the one to start that process. Yeah, yeah so by starting that process you basically force uh, the other person's hand to act because you know, as we mentioned, there's a two-year time period to contest a will, and offering a new later dated will is itself a will contest. So if you have a will, uh, but you're concerned that there's another one out there, if you offer it for probate, you're starting the timer on that two-year limitations period for the other person to act. And, and one of the considerations in all of this is this area of the law um, it's a it's a pretty specialized area of the law and, and pretty technical and these these procedural things that we've been talking about about when you uh, file your will contest versus not and what relief you request um, that you know I, I would say most attorneys don't know about all of those different things that you can do and so if you have a substantial estate that you're concerned that a will contest might be something that uh, would be required, you know, I'd encourage you to try to find an attorney that knows what they're doing. If that means reaching out to um, somebody in one of the larger cities that, that focuses in this area, um, that's very important because that, that will get you on the right track fast versus having somebody who really doesn't know what they're doing. Um, and and it, it, it'll help get the, get the case on track and get it um, to a resolution as soon as possible. In Chris, you know, one of the important things you mentioned right there is that, you know, this is a specialized area. It can be complicated. You're dealing with a mixture of uh, statutes made by the Texas legislature, but also a bunch of uh, common law decided by the courts is, uh, are these probate cases always heard by uh, a specialist in this area? And when I say that, are, is the judge always going to be a specialist in this area? So uh, more likely than not, uh, given how many counties that we have in Texas, uh, the judge that, that you're going to get probably isn't going to be seasoned in, 
a will contest litigation type fight. They may know how to uh, do a probate proceeding, a probate process, a regular non-contested probate process, but uh, more likely than not, especially if you're in a smaller county, that's what you're going to run into. But Joe, would you talk a little bit about what are the other the mechanisms to try and um, get get it maybe get your will contest if you're in one of those counties to to a, a judge that's a little bit more knowledgeable about this. Sure, sure. So if you're in a larger county like Bear County, uh, which is San Antonio, or Harris County, which is Houston, um, you know Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, you're going to have uh, really the opportunity to be in front of you're going to be in front of what's called a statutory probate judge, which means that judge. Uh, the only thing that they do is uh, they handle probate and, and related guardianship cases. So they are going to be, uh, in all likelihood, a specialist in this area. This is just what they do. They're not hearing uh, family law cases. They're not hearing, uh, you know, uh, personal injury cases. They're handling these probate disputes. So if you're in one of those larger counties, you have the benefit of that knowledge and experience to handle your case. But that's only a few counties in Texas. Texas is a huge state. So if you're in one of those smaller counties uh, and you have a will contest, one of the things you can do uh, early on in the process is request the appointment of a statutory probate judge uh, to oversee the case. So even if you're in a smaller county, uh, you can still request and have the benefit of an experienced statutory probate judge uh, overseeing your will contest. And so typically that the ability to do that um, is, is in counties with a county court, not necessarily a county court at law, but with a county court. So if you're, you're in a county and the, the probate proceeding that's been started is in a county with just a county court, and that's where the application to, to probate the will has been filed, you can automatically request the assignment of a statutory probate judge. Um, and, and that statutory probate judge will typically get assigned uh, from the presiding uh, statutory probate judge, who right now is Guy Herman out of Austin. Um, in a lot of other counties that have county courts at law, which exercise original probate jurisdiction, when a contest or a disputed estate comes along, um, they just end up transferring it to the district court in those counties and you're, you're sort of stuck in the district court, but um, that uh, a district court judge typically has a lot more experience with litigation matters than a county court at law judge. That concludes our uh, Will Contest Considerations episode. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, in, in the next uh, part, in the next episode, we are gonna be talking a little bit more specifically about will contests and the allegations that you can make in a, in a will contest to try and set aside or invalidate um, somebody's last will and testament. This is Chris. And this is Joe. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us today for the Langley and Benack podcast. Please subscribe to get the latest updates. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website, www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600.